Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 85 of the Lawyerist podcast, where we talk with Michelle DeStefano about law without walls and how lawyers and law students can learn creative problem-solving skills. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we're being productive, and we think that's awesome. Visit callruby.com lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Zero beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. So today, Aaron, I want to talk about ransomware. Ooh. (laughs) This is a little talked about but widespread thing that is affecting uh, an increasing amount of small businesses, lawyers, and, and really anybody. And here's how it works. You open an attachment or you visit a website that compromises your computer and what the what the person on the other end does, what the software does automatically, is it encrypts your hard drive so that you can't access it. And you'll get a little message or a window popping up saying, transfer this much Bitcoin to this, you know, uh, foreign address by such and such a date, or they're going to wipe out your hard drive. And that is what happens. It's always Bitcoin, isn't it? It is Bitcoin because it's hard to trace. That's so cool. It is cool, but it's also a pain in the butt for people. There's a great story from a while back about the many hoops that a woman went through in order to pay off her ransomers because it was so hard for her to get a hold of Bitcoin. And then when she finally did, the exchange rate had obviously changed and she needed another like $2 worth of Bitcoin to pay it off. And so, but people don't talk about it when it happens because it's embarrassing and you've compromised your client files if you're a law firm. So, it's a big problem. And... The way it works is people are just blasting out these compromised email attachments and links to everyone on the internet, basically. So if you check your spam folder in Gmail or in Outlook, you've probably got a bunch of email attachments sitting in there that are ransomware and don't click on them. (laughs) So basically everyone is vulnerable to this and it catches people all the time. I've heard of lawyers who've been hit multiple times and apparently learned nothing the first time around. Um, So it's actually a big problem. And I'm guessing that of the people listening, there's more than a handful that have been affected by this. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know how widespread this actually is. I hear about it with some frequency, but not enough that I feel like people actually think it's going to happen to them. Yeah. But I don't have it. But because people don't talk about it, it's hard to know. It is hard to know. And and the thing is, there are some really simple fixes, actually. Avoidance may be, you know, telling people to not click on uh, strange attachments is really important. Don't click on strange attachments and links and strange emails, obviously. Like for real, don't do that. <laughs> but I understand that when there's 10 or 15 people or even three or four at a law firm, Every single person, become it becomes exponentially harder to control that that behavior, and so it's if you if you have more than <laughs> more than zero people using computers at your firm, it's going to be a problem. So, um, so the question is, how do you how do you recover from it? And really, the easy solution is to have good backup because 
if somebody encrypts your hard drive and you have good backup, you just, you know, say, okay, well, I guess, um, I guess I'm done with that hard drive. You format it, reinstall Windows and start over with your data restored from your backup. So no big deal. Do we have any, I haven't heard any stories, but it seems like you could then get into blackmailware where it's okay. We can't hold this against you, but we do have the files too. Mm -hmm. Or is that, is that not something that these baddies are doing that doesn't seem to be something that the baddies are doing but it's not inconceivable that they could um it it, it, it's about holding your files hostage but they're not actually taking your files in most cases uh they've just encrypted the files now the reason backup is important is if if you've just if you're just backing up to an external hard drive plugged into your laptop that's probably going to get encrypted too so what you need to be doing is some sort of a remote backup uh, to a different thing that is not going to be immediately affected by this. So like I, I my crash plan backup, my computer is always backing up remotely to crash plan, which is on its remote servers. And so it's pretty easy for me to just restore from those remote servers, which are not going to get encrypted by a ransomware attack. And so if these guys got you and said, give us all your Bitcoin, you would say, screw you, I'm reinstalling my operating system, rebooting my backup, and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because my stuff stored in the cloud is safe. And, you know, I'd, I would I would reset my passwords. Um, I'd probably spend half of a day <laughs> changing all of my important passwords. But I would probably just, yeah, say fuck you and move on because... There's nothing There's nothing that wouldn't be backed up that I really need because I'm running a constant real-time backup. And then you wouldn't have to give the baddies all your Bitcoins. Yeah, and, and which is good because I, although I'm aware of Bitcoin and I think it wouldn't take me long to purchase some, I don't actually traffic in Bitcoin. Oh. So I don't really know how to do it and that would be a pain in the butt. And so I don't really want to go ahead and, and figure all that out. I'd rather just start from scratch. How many episodes of this podcast have we mentioned Bitcoins? Oh, not enough. I'm sure. Okay, we should get we should get on that. <laughs> well, we had the we had the the Bitcoin and blockchain expert on, which yeah, was, we uh, we had a whole whole episode dedicated to Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and you know, to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, I I think that the blockchain, which is what powers Bitcoin, is sort of being separated from it and becoming into its own thing, and I. Actually, that's not a terrible segue because I'm really confident that the blockchain plays a role in some of the creative solutions that happen at Law Without Walls. And so... What a segue! Sam, I love yeah. it! Do you like that? <laughs> that was a good segue. So having said that, here's my conversation with Michelle DiStefano. My name is Michelle DeStefano, and I am a professor at the University of Miami School of Law. I'm also guest faculty at Harvard Law School Center on the Legal Profession and Executive Education Program. In addition, I'm the founder and director of Law Without Walls. I focus my research and writing on changes in the legal marketplace, any type of changes, and from compliance to public relations to innovation. Um, and what motivates me is inspiring others, inspiring others to embrace the process of innovation, because I believe that by embracing the process of innovation, we hone all those uh, professional skills we need to be the best 21st century lawyers. Cool. So let's talk about law without walls and and what it is. And, and it's really 
it's one name for several things as I understand it, but give us kind of the overview of, of what the program is. So Law Without Walls is a part virtual experiential learning program that's designed to equip um, experienced lawyers and inexperienced talent, meaning up-and-coming lawyers, with the skills of the successful leaders for tomorrow. And it's really designed to transform how lawyers collaborate with business professionals to solve problems. It's at least part of it is a class, right? I mean, there, you're a professor, there are law students who are getting credit for this. So essentially, um, the one of the best things about Law Without Walls and, and perhaps one of the worst things from a marketing perspective is it's a little bit like an elephant. And if we took a we took a you, Sam and me, and a couple other people, and we blindfolded everyone, and we stood them around the elephant. Everybody would say they were holding something different. So the tusk would feel very different than the foot, which would feel diff- very different from the, than the tail. And that's true of Law Without Walls as well. And as you said, yeah, it is part class. So on a weekly basis, um, we have over 150 people in a virtual room where we lead what you might call class, where we have thought leaders from all over the world debating hot issues in legal education and practice. Or um, we've got experts actually helping us hone skills around innovation or business planning or project management. So in some ways, it is a class. But in other ways, it's an executive education program like no other. Um, It isn't something you go to for four days and sit in a classroom and learn. It's hands-on learning across four months. In a nutshell, we take two to three, approximately three students, and they are law and business school students from 30 different law and business schools from around the world, and we team them up. And on that team, we put two lead lawyers. Um, They are the team leaders, and they usually come one from in-house at an in-house client legal department and one from a law firm. And then additionally, we have a couple other mentors on the team, an academic, an entrepreneur, and a business professional. And this team is given a broad topic in either legal education or practice, a challenge, a problem that they have to solve. And these problems can be sponsored by corporations. Last year, Microsoft sponsored uh, um, a topic, Bupa, Lockheed Martin, LegalZoom, Diversity Lab, et Can you give us some examples of what the problems are? I'm, I'm curious to kind of get an idea of what sorts of, of problems these teams are going after. Sure. So, um, for example, um, some of the topics are related, almost all the topics are related to, techno- to technology in some way, shape, or form. But some of the topics... Um, have a uh, business bent. Some have a social entrepreneurship bent. Let me give you a few examples. Here's one. Teach an old, this one was sponsored by Bupa. Teach an old dog new tricks. How can technology help aging populations know their rights? Um, more minorities at the top. What will it take to increase and sustain diversity in high level legal leadership positions in the law? That was sponsored by Diversity Lab. In a big data world, how should service providers strike a balance between making money and responsibly managing users' data? That one was sponsored by Microsoft. Um, here's one. Does practice make perfect? How do we find an objective measure of legal quality? That was sponsored by LegalZoom. Hmm. Um, and in addition, we have some other ones that are, are not sponsored, like she, he, we, and who, rethinking access to justice in a non-binary world. From last to lawyer, how can we empower the girls of today to be tomorrow's female law leaders? So it sounds like big, sort of big open-ended questions, and then the teams can decide how how they want to attack those. And um, it sounds like a, a little bit of a prolonged hackathon, really. And it's, that's actually a great analogy. And we do a mini hackathon in our kickoff session as well. But it is like a prolonged hackathon, and it is a multidisciplinary team that works on it. What I would say about the topics being broad is 
they're purposely broad because research shows that the best problem solvers are the best problem finders. Mm. And actually, the hardest thing to do is to fine-tune and find the problem. And that's what we're trained to do in law school. Um, but from a substantive standpoint, and lawyers are really good at that, we're not as good at doing that from a business standpoint. Um, and really, our clients of today need us to be doing that from a business standpoint, um, really figuring out for them what their true problem is, as opposed to maybe the symptoms of the problem. One of the things I noticed looking at the website is uh, that most of the companies involved are big companies. Most of the lawyers involved look like they come from big firms or big companies. Is that by design or is that just how it sort of worked out when you're trying to get together people to sponsor and join up? Is it easier to go after that? So I'm not so sure that that's actually the case. So for example, we have, you know, probably a hundred uh, entrepreneurs involved in Law Without Walls and they're all founders of uh, their own legal startups or um, lawyers that are part of uh, startups that may not be in the legal space. So that, that already starts to change the dynamic in terms of it being big law versus small. We have a bunch of solo attorneys that volunteer their time as mentors. We have as well some smaller law firms and smaller practices and indeed our all virtual program LLX, which is only focused on social entrepreneurship, access to justice issues, is sponsored by Jim Ferraro. And Jim Ferraro is one of the really well-known attorneys down here in Florida uh, for some famous cases, um, but um, it, that isn't, it isn't like a, a big law firm like, like what you're talking about. But we hmm. do have some really large law firms, lawyers from some really large law firms involved and larger corporations. The corporations that sponsored were large ones, although Diversity Lab is, 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 is fairly new and fairly small. Um, so I think it's a mix cool. uh, of, of, of volunteers from different places. Does this, um, I, I saw some references to community. So is this the kind of thing that people participate in it and the, the conversations, the relationships and stuff, is there a structure to help those things continue so that people can stay in touch and keep working together if they want to? Um, yes. And it actually happens very organically. So you started off this talk by saying it was like a, you know, Law Without Walls is like a class and it is a class. And then it's also like a, you then give an analogy that it's a long hackathon, which is also true, but it it is also probably mostly a community. Yeah. It, it is almost like its own association where people from around the world have their own events that they call, you know, Law Without Wall cohort events where they get together. Um, so we just had one in London actually this summer where we invited folks that had been in Law Without Walls over the past seven years to come and share their experiences. And it was really a lot of fun. And also for them to help us figure out how we might pivot our model um, for long-term sustainability. And I mean, what a great wealth of, of great minds, critical minds um, to help us do that. So there are events. And then, of course, our weekly thought leader sessions um, that happen, you know, every Wednesday, everybody that's ever been a part of Law Without Walls is is uh, invited to join. And we have people that have been coming to them for years. Uh, so that's the other way we do it. Next year, we're hoping to expand and do some legal startup pitches and some other events. So stay tuned on that. Very cool. I want to take two minutes so that we can hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about um, sort of a meta topic, which is how do you facilitate that remote collaboration between the teams? And I'd also like to talk about some of the specific problems and applications to access to justice that have come out of Law Without or gone into and come out of Law Without Walls. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. 
When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone. Which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. Okay, we're back. And I, I guess first, uh, I'd kind of like to go on a digression here because you're working with a uh, across time zones, across oceans. Um, you're, people are collaborating primarily on screens, um, whether it's video or chat, at least partially. And so I'm curious, um, what kinds of challenges have you encountered in getting teams to work effectively remotely like that. And I'm partially selfishly interested because Lawyerist is mostly a remote team, but I know that remote teams are becoming more and more common in small firms and probably large firms too. And so I'm kind of curious how you've uh, managed to work with that. So I'm a big believer that uh, it's really, really important to have a kickoff session for any type of team you put together and that that kickoff session be devoted to um, teaming exercises and more than that, a real um, sharing of strengths and weaknesses of the team members. So, for example, in Law Without Walls, everybody takes DISC. It's a type of personality test. And then the team gets mapped on a DISC wheel map so that the team can actually see where its strengths and weaknesses are in terms of the team's personality, preferences, traits, tendencies is not to be used as an excuse, oh, I'm a D, so therefore I can say things that aren't so nice mm -hmm. and be blunt. <laughs> they instead, they're supposed to be, and I am a D, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> but instead that the, they're used so that you can, you can actually start to, to flex your own behaviors to either fill the gaps on the team that uh, are there or to better communicate with the other team members because you learn their preferred styles and you learn how they prefer to interact. You know, some people get their energy from other people. Other people get their energy from taking time to go back and think. So for some, they want, you know, uh, right off the, you know, second interaction and brainstorming. Other people want to go off, think about it and come back with an answer and understanding those preferences and then actually mapping out and making some decisions during that kickoff on how, when, where you're going to communicate, what tools you, you'll use, what are the appropriate times, What's the appropriate time frame in which to get back to somebody? And across cultures, that can really vary to, I expect an answer within an hour to, to, to three days. And when you're talking about academics, you got to be clear because some academics don't respond for a week, right. you know, because they're <laughs> off doing their writing or whatnot. So I think that real clear expectations, um, clear timelines, clear understandings, clear joint collaborative decisions on the tools and timing for the meetings going forward 
Um, and then also some fun. Those kickoff meetings, you have to share a little bit about yourself. You got to get a little silly. Um, I'm a big believer in first name basis, no hierarchies, no titles, because mm-hmm. that way each person can bring their level of talent, whatever it might be, that's even outside whatever they're doing for the company or for the organization to the group. Um, and those kickoffs can be in person if possible. But like you said, that's not always possible. Hmm. Or they can be online, which we've done. It's harder online, but it can be done. What are some of the most effective tools for collaboration that you guys have wound up using? Because I I know our listeners love tools. Okay, so I must preface this by saying that Microsoft is such a great supporter of Law Without Walls. And I we we definitely love some of the Microsoft tools like Skype. Skype is essential for us. It's essential for virtual teams. Um, We sometimes create what we call, you know, rabbit holes or... um, What's the name of that the the in Harry Potter when they can go from one room to another uh, through space? Well, anyway, I can't remember the name of it. But uh, so we use Skype for that. As far as collaborative tools for collaborative um, creation of work, uh, we're big believers in Google Drive. It, it organizes really well. There's no version wars. Um, there's no moving things through the air like there is with uh, Dropbox. Not that I have anything against Dropbox mm-hmm. um, at all. It's just that we found Google Drive to work the best, although I must admit that sometimes it causes us trouble because Google is sometimes blocked in China and oh. we have, you know, lots of people from China involved. So we've had some issues with that and had to, we've had to flex on uh, in that, in that, in that regard when that's happened. Huh. Um, but we like real time document editing where you can see who's in the document and you yeah. see changes and you can rewind the changes. Um, and you can also store and collaboratively store as a group on Google Drive. For for we big believers in video. Video connection is always preferred over uh, just phone. And that's simply because, look, let's be honest. Whenever there's a conference call, I'm really psyched because that means I can put my makeup on during the call, <laughs> or I can like clean the dishes. I mean, I can. That means as a woman, I can do three other things during my call, which means I'm not giving the same amount of focus as I would on a Skype video call. On a Skype video call, you can see everything I'm doing. So it's a little bit harder to not be really there. I've also read that like 70% of our communication is nonverbal and and which is one of the reasons why I like video so much because less less information gets lost. Well, you can, right, you can see when someone's leaning forward, they're going to talk. Like just now, I could have known if I was looking at you, I could have seen you and known you were just about to speak and... Totally. It's always better. Yeah. So we use a lot. I mean, there's Google Hangouts, there's Skype, there's a ton of other programs out there. There's, of course, FaceTime. Um, and then our teams also use chat um, and create chats on either WhatsApp or Viber. Oh, cool. And um, they create Facebook groups. So lots of different technologies are used in, to, to collaborate. It sounds like you, you don't really have official ones, um, you you make some suggestions maybe and people can use whatever they find most effective? Of course, yeah. yeah. And we always try to give new ideas for how to work. So hmm. um, Trello, which is a project management tool, we, we t- will tell our teams about it and give them the option of using it, but they don't have to, right? And then we have another tool that we created that they could use and then for project management. So that's, you know, we have a calendaring app that we think is great that we talk about. Same with presentations. I mean, there's slide beam, there's PowerPoint, there's, um, oh, what's the one on the Mac called? I'm, I'm spacing. But there's a <laughs> bunch of different ways to present to to us and to each other that we 
try to introduce the teams to. Very cool. So I'd like to, um, for kind of now, now let's end our digression, I guess. And I'd like to talk about the specific access to justice stuff, mostly because that's something I'm super interested in is how we can innovate solutions to access to justice problems, which sometimes means technology, but not always. And I guess I'm what I'm really curious to know about is um, you've hinted that some of the things that you've done at Law Without Walls have continued beyond uh, the program. And, it, you know, we recently did a hackathon at our own TBD Law Conference, and some people got so inspired by their pitches that they're actually trying to make them happen, and they've gone from theoretical to practical, and I'm guessing the same thing has happened. And so, I'm kind of curious to know what are some of the problems and solutions that have started in Law Without Walls and that we might be seeing reverberate, or if you're if you're able to point to some of those things, and because I'm guessing you can. So, I can, except for they're not all social justice ones um, that okay. are actually going to market. I wouldn't separate them that way. I'm, I'm curious about the other ones, too, I guess. Okay. Um, well, uh, one I'll talk about from years ago um, was called Traffic Junction, and it was a group of three um, really strong women who were the students on the project, leading the project, and it was basically a place where everybody um, that is involved in helping stop, cure, prevent uh, human trafficking could come together. And what happened was another group, another organization was doing something similar. And this team had actually gotten some funding and money to bring it to life. And another group was doing something similar and they, they, they found us and Law Without Walls and Traffic Junction and offered those three women a space on their board and sort of subsumed their idea into theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was one of our first successes, and cool. because we that that actually affects real change in the marketplace. We have a team right now going forward with a really cool idea. It, it was originally called White Hatters in, in LWOW, um, and a team from our our blended program was tasked with the topic in a global world: How do corporations reduce the dark zone of unknown corporate misconduct? Hmm. There's got to be a solution for that. And in response, the team created this um, and has just created this company called Fissure Security, um, which increases cybersecurity protection and builds awareness against targeted phishing attacks through um, live simulation and deconstruction learning. So um, they are already meeting with law firms and starting to beta test their product right now. Hmm. So that's that's kind of that's kind of exciting. We have another um, another group that started Pro Bono 123. And their, their topic was increasing access to justice and creating new models of regulation. How can the two go hand in hand? And in response, they created this um, Pro Bono 123, which was designed to connect law students with pro bono activities. But more importantly, it was designed to fill the problem and that's now being created by the fact that certain state bars, especially like New York, is, is requiring um, a number of pro bono hours before you can even sit for the bar. And so this um, website and app will help the students track um, their actual uh, pro bono hours that they do through law school so they can get them the credit they need uh, in order to be able to sit for the sit for the bar. Um, then uh, so those are really the two that I would highlight that are going forward. And I'm, I guess I what I'd say about the projects and being brought to life is that's really not the purpose of Law Without Walls. Yeah. Uh, Law Without Walls is is designed to hone 21st century skills, importantly, innovation and entrepreneurism skills. And the lawyers and the law, law school students and business school students that come through and, and do LWOW don't necessarily want to quit their day jobs or not get a 
a paying job and work out of their garage to bring these things to life. Um, but I will say so many of the projects could be and should be, and we see them happening by other people or similar ideas, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, right? So, right. and, and, and there's the theory of multiples where ideas happen all over the world at the same time. So it's not surprising that teams will come up with ideas that then a year or two later, you'll see actually come into the marketplace by somebody else. So for example, one team, they called their product Advocate, and it was a multilingual gamification interface for minor immigrant detainees and their advocates to build trust and safeguard the best interests of the child. So essentially, in the U.S., we have a lot of um, minor immigrants that actually choose to go back home when they could be allowed to stay. And the reason they do that is because they're scared and there isn't a way because of some of the language barriers to uh, build the trust needed with the child. So sometimes they make a decision that's actually not in their best interest. And that's what this gamification interface is designed to, to help um, prevent. Hmm. And, and what you said, it, it's more about the process than the results is totally resonates with me because when we, um, when we did our thing, uh, our TBD law conference, it was much more about the engagement with each other, the conversations and the process of generating ideas. Um, that's, that's both what we wanted it to be about and what people found valuable. But it's a lot, I guess it's a lot easier to talk about results. So I appreciate you reminding us that it, there's, it, sometimes you have to take it on faith that the process is more valuable than the outputs. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's many people and in, in many lawyers that can say they've, they've created an innovation and presented it in front of 250 people and had to uh, defend it, a business mm-hmm. case, you know, it, live. And that experience alone makes you grow. And, and just the process of, of learning to think about things in that way, for sure. Yeah, it changes your mindset. If any of our listeners are interested in getting involved, what would they need to do? So they should contact, um, if you go to our website, www.lawwithoutwalls.org um, or lwow.org, um, there's a way you can connect through there or you can email us. Um, our associate director, Erica Pagano, uh, who really helps run um, Law Without Walls from start to finish, uh, she can be reached at erica at lwow.org. That's probably the best way to find us. Cool. Um, and get a get a human to respond. But we're always looking for people, change agents, you know, kindred spirits who want to join us in our charge to change the way we educate lawyers and the way we practice. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciated having you on our podcast. Thanks for having me, Sam. Take care. make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. Subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.